reading for Rosh Hashanah, which is found in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from he heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offerings, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 16. It's a tradition that we stand when we hear our Lord teach, as we honor our Jesus the Messiah. The good news according to Luke. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, 
with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip, to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, And then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The Gospels describe the theology of the Second Temple period Judaism really well and very accurately. Uh, It might sound like a bit of a surprise, but at Hebrew University, we actually studied the New Testament as a Second Temple period Jewish text, which was great because that's exactly what it is. It's written by Jews, about Jews, predominantly to Jews. So, keep it in its context. Now, from the Hebrew Bible to the Greek Bible, or Old Testament, New Testament, there's this 400-year gap, which, when you flip in your Bibles, tends to have a single page, sometimes called the silent years. And unfortunately, that's uh, that's not true, because it was actually flourishing with literature and thought. And so uh, what happened is there was a change, a drastic change in Jewish thinking in exile. So when we had the temple and things didn't work out so well for us, we were carted away to Babylon, we had to have a serious, hard look at ourselves. We had the temple, we had prophets, we had the Torah, and we still ended up here. Well, now what do we do? How do we celebrate Passover? How do we, uh, when we we don't have a temple, how do we do sacrifices? What does prayer really mean? What do our priests do now that they don't have a temple? Where do our prophets go? Had a really hard look. Lots changed. The religion decentralized. We begin to invent something called the synagogue. Sacrifices had to take on new meanings because we couldn't do them anymore. Please note that Daniel cannot offer sacrifices. And when the angels come and speak to him in the book of Daniel, none of them say, I'm going to give you a vision of the future um, and you're going to record it down, but really, actually, you can't make sacrifices, so you're toast. Um, Get your affairs in order. They had learnt that actually sacrifices weren't the thing that saved you. 
Passover was an issue. Can't offer a lamb. So bread became frightfully important. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus in the Gospels makes no reference to lamb. What does he make reference to? Bread. And other traditions had occurred. There were now four cups of wine at Passover. There's no wine in the story of Exodus. Jesus doesn't pick up a cup of wine with his disciples and go, hey guys, this is not in the Bible. What he does is he says, I know you've given this meaning. Let me give you some more. So tradition isn't inherently an evil thing. And in today's text, we see that they've been thinking about the afterlife and the, the world to come. As if we actually have a look at the Hebrew Bible, we start to look at what happens to, to when people die, we discover that they don't have a lot of information. Everybody goes to the same place, which in Hebrew was called Sheol, Hades in the Greek, correct. Sheol. What is Sheol? No one has a clue. King David didn't like the idea that everybody went to the same place. And Solomon certainly didn't like it, wrote a whole book about it. It's all meaningless. We all end up in the same place. So in Diaspora, they began to think, there's got to be a little bit more to this place. So they separated it into two places. One place they called paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise, says Jesus to the thief. And the other place, they didn't call anything really. They just kept its name Sheol. And they looked around to try and figure out how to describe it. And they looked at the sin that drove them into exile. Does anyone know what it was? It was the burning of children to the fire god Molech. And so the image of torment and fire and the weeping and wailing of teeth came about. And so you see in our story, it's not a parable that Jesus teaches, this is a story. He is including all of these elements in the second temple period. And they'd been thinking that when you go there, you're aware what actually goes there. So we know our bodies stay here and they eventually become dust, but something goes there and you can still be aware. The rich man was aware that he had brothers. He was, he was feeling his agony. He could see Lazarus. And he still didn't seem to figure out his lesson because he's still trying to boss Lazarus around. Even when he's dead, hey, send Lazarus back to, to go talk to my brothers. In the New Testament, I mean, we are reading New Testament, but in the book of Revelation, what do we see the saints doing in heaven? They're singing. They're worshiping. They're conscious. They're walking around. John even recognizes that they have human characteristics. I saw people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. 
and somehow they're holding stuff, palm branches. Where did they get them? I'm not 100% sure. Um, could you imagine getting to heaven and not having brought your palm branch? I'm very sorry, Aaron, but you're going to need to go back and go get your palm branch. Eh? Surely you should have read the text by now. And in the, uh, in, the, in the first temple period, our problem was idolatry. We were constantly chasing after other gods, though we had been told not to do this. And when we came back from exile, we got rid of the idols. So in archaeology, when you dig up ancient sites, if you see idols, you know this is a first temple period Israelite site. If you see a site without idols, most likely going to be second temple period Israelite. But we had a new problem. Greed. Because we were in Babylon, Persia. Guess who actually invented money? It was the Persians. Everybody at, at that time was, uh, was basing their, their currency on actual physical metals. In Hebrew, we call it a shekel, a weight. And, uh, but the Persians came along and said, new idea for your chaps, because they're actually English. We're going to create this small round coin that actually has no value, but we're all going to pretend it has a value, which is today we call that money. Isn't it great? I pick up a 50 shekel note and I say, John, this is worth 50 shekels. And he goes, sure. And so for us, it's worth 50 shekels. But as soon as he says, no, it's not. It's just a piece of green paper. What value does it have? None. But Jewish people, they picked up on this idea and they ran with it. So by the second table period, greed is our problem. The love of money. And that's the issue that is being dealt with all throughout the New Testament. And we're, and we're still struggling with that today. If we are honest and we look at our world around us, the world that we have given to our children, our children have grown up with access to absolutely everything. I can't think of one thing that they haven't got. Food of every type. High-speed internet on demand. Does anyone here remember when movies came out and you actually had to physically wait for them to show up? Now, no one waits for anything. And yet, we gave our kids everything except a reason to get out of bed in the morning. They're the, they're the, our society is the richest it's ever been and the most depressed. People have stopped getting into families. They've got no hope. People don't know how to, how to stay in the same job long, longer than several years, maybe even less than that. Uh-oh. We are reaping what we have sowed. In the story of the rich man and, the La and Lazarus, and I can just imagine Jesus using the word Lazarus, that doesn't normally do that, you know. Uh, let me tell you a story, guys, about a rich man who's got no name, and he wears lots of clothing and he gets to eat lots. And then there's this really poor guy called Lazarus who doesn't have very many clothing. And Lazarus is at the back of the disciples going, really? Me again? Why can't you choose Peter? He's always opening his mouth and putting his foot in it. What have I done? Oh, it's okay, Lazzie. You're all right. You're going to you work out where you go uh, in the end. Oh, by the way, when you get there, I'm going to bring you back. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. So the rich man is paired with Lazarus. One goes to a good place. It says when he dies, the angels carry him. 
What exactly are they carrying, one wonders? But he has angelic escort. The rich man, when he dies, nothing is said. He's just buried, opens his eyes, and he is somewhere where he does not want to be. When you read the Bible in the ancient uh, 2,000 years ago, you didn't actually read it. Why not? Because there was uh, no Bible. You heard it. We would come into our synagogue or we would come into our gathering place and somebody would be appointed to read. We discover that Jesus was one of those people. He was a reader of the Bible. And so someone who actually had the skill of reading and a, a good voice and actually access to the text would read out loud and everybody would listen. Because we call this Bible the Holy Bible. Why do we call it the Holy Bible? Because it's written on the side. Okay, that's it's got a title. But if we were Jewish people, we said, what are the scriptures? They would say this, this is divine language. Every single word here is here for a reason. There is no such thing as a superfluous word. There is a reason why certain words are here and there's reasons why certain words are not there. And the words that are not there end up being just as important as the words that are there. And if that doesn't spin your head out by now, I don't know what does. Because we're not normally used to reading the Bible looking for words that are not there. Or, but it is how you ask questions. So, our friend Lazarus, when he goes to the good place, paradise, who does he go to be with? Abraham. Who does he not go to be with? Moses. Right? Everyone's got the Torah of Moses. The Torah of Moses is absolutely fantastic. Follow Moses. He's, he's, the, he's just brilliant. But when you come to the afterlife, it's not Moses you talk about. It's Abraham. And Abraham is the father of many nations, not just one. Because everything about our Bible is about that Jews and Gentiles have to track together. Who came out of Egypt? during the Exodus, when God with a mighty hand and outstretched arm reached down and pulled out a people who didn't know who he was. Hebrews, absolutely. Who else came out? The mixed multitudes, Gentiles. Ever since the beginning, Jews and Gentiles have tracked together. And the Psalms, when we read them, are always universal. They're always, salvation is for everyone. Hallelujah, Adonai, kol hagoyim, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Well, how are they going to praise the Lord? If someone needs to go and tell them that. And so Moses himself, when he was looking at the children of Israel as they're about to cross over into Jordan, he says, no other nation has a Torah like yours. 
No other nation has a set of laws that will set up a, a moral, a just society that knows how to treat women, that they can get inheritance, that knows how to fight wars justly and knows what to do with prisoners and sets out slaves free every seven years and even figures out how to take care of the poor in our society. He says, other nations are gonna be attracted to this. And that's, that truth has to resonate with us as well. The way we put our faith into practice needs to be attractive to people. Because my gosh, they need some hope out there. The rich man says, how would I supposed to know? There's no, there's no reason given in the text for why uh, the rich man is not in, uh, in paradise. There's no discussion on faith here. Although the Gospels are finely crafted texts, everything is flowing in a pattern. In Luke 15, we've had the parable of the lost. Now, we often define them as three parables, but the text only says it's one parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep. You can be lost in a crowd. It's the parable of the lost coin. You can be lost at home. It's the parable of the lost son. You can be lost inside a family. Then you get the, uh, the, the, the shrewd uh, businessman. There's, a, there's an issue of money that you can't serve God and mammon. This greed thing again. And then you get to the point where people who keep serving mammon end up in this rather unfortunate place. Lost. He was lost. How did he get himself unlost? Well, Abraham says, if you had just listened to Moses and the prophets, that'll tell, that would have easily told you, rich man, what you were supposed to do with your wealth. And what are you supposed to do with it? It's supposed to be generous. Everything about the Torah and the prophets tells us to be generous. God has given us so much now you be generous. It's one of the reasons why I really like the book of Leviticus. I think it's the best book of the Bible. Three of you have now had apoplectic fets. I'll call the ambulance. But guys, I will prove my case. In Leviticus, so first of all, in Genesis, we get told that God is a, uh, uh, a creator. In Exodus, he's a lawgiver and a redeemer. But in Leviticus, he's holy. Only in Leviticus does God say, I'm holy. Now I want you to be holy. Not only that, I make you holy. So stay holy. And this is what I'm like. Mr. Farmer, you've got a great nice field. When you harvest your field, can you harvest all of it? No, you have to keep the edges. Why? Because, Mr. Farmer, I love you very much. And I think it's great that you have a farm. By the way, I provide the water and the sunshine, so we're kind of working together here. But I love the poor man just as much as you. And I want, he doesn't have a farm, so I want him to be able to come onto your place and take your stuff for free. And I want you to open the door. And that demonstrates the heart and the character and the generosity of the Lord, of how much he loves everyone. Those laws are all in Leviticus. It's a great, great book. So the, the Bible should have told the wealthy 
how to deal generously. So this story is actually a story of preparation. The rich man had, has a definite lack of preparation. And it's a strong call for repentance. As Jesus says, they will not repent even if they, someone comes back from the dead. I mean, he's really even setting up the fact that when he rises from the dead, people still ain't going to believe. Isn't that incredible? Even when people see people rise from the dead, they want to kill them. When Jesus brings Lazarus out of the grave, people, some people go, wow, that's really amazing. I'm not 100% sure Lazarus said that. Okay, I can just imagine him going, what am I doing here again? You mean I have to die again? She no fair. But there were people present who even having seen the truth, all they wanted to do was crush it. And, 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 and so they had to hide Lazarus. He ends up in Cyprus, for those that might want to know, according to tradition. So this story is a, is a story about pre preparation and preparing ourselves. And it's linked to repentance, which oddly enough is linked to our season that we have fallen on this day. Rosh Hashanah. And the reading that we read at this season, Genesis 22. Now, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, begins the fall feasts, and uh, it, it uh, always, it's, what, it's the only festival that actually occurs on the first of a month. It's the first of Tishrei, and which means it's also a new moon. So it's full of beginnings. And I know, before you, before you tell me, it's not in the Bible. I get it. Rosh Hashanah, yes, isn't actually physically in the Bible, as we would understand it. It's a tradition that we inherit uh, from the Babylonian period. Lots of traditions are inherited. In the Bible, it, it, traditionally, this is actually um, the creation of Adam and Eve. If anybody wanted to know what Jewish people are thinking in terms of their prayer life, they're thinking that tonight, uh, Adam and Eve were created. This season kicks off the fall feasts, Rosh Hashanah, or in the Bible, it's called, uh, it's actually known by two names. In, in Leviticus, it's called Zichron Teruah, the memory or the memorial of trumpeting, of blasting trumpets. And in, in uh, Numbers, it changes its name to Yom Teruah, the day of blasting trumpets. And there's absolutely no explanation given as to why it's called that. There is no reason given why you should blow trumpets. Okay, there's, there's reasons given why you should build a sukkah. Okay, God doesn't say, hey guys, I really like camping, and so all my disciples will go out into the fields for a while. Okay, he says, no, you go build little sukkahs, and this will remind you of, your, of the, um, the wanderings in the wilderness. They have prophetic significance, yes. Passover, uh, the uh, redemption from Egypt, the redemption from the Messiah, uh, Shavuot, Pentecost, the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are prophetic significances, absolutely. But don't ever let that take away from its practical value as well and what, the, what we're supposed to be doing this season. This is actually a time of repentance, a time of preparation. 
in Jewish tradition, the books are opened. There are three books in heaven. We get that imagery from the book of Daniel and from Revelation. Both of those books describe the heavenly court scenes where things are written down. And all of us, poor and rich, will approach this season together. And our wealth will not be able to help us. Something else is going to have to. And so we blow trumpets. In fact, the Jewish people are going to blow their trumpets, their shofars, about a hundred times. Why? If there's no reason given, we have the opportunity to begin to think and ponder. And we look around the scriptures, looking at all the other times where trumpets are blown. So when do trumpets get blown? Jericho's one, right? We blow our trumpets around uh, Jericho. And um, we, first of all, we actually have to march around the, the city seven times. So there's a little bit of action. Remember, the, the Hebrew Bible calls this a memory of blowing and a day of blowing. One's a memory and one's an action. When you remember something in Hebrew, that doesn't mean you just sit around and think about it and ponder it. It actually means you do it. You do something to remember. In fact, that's going to be written on our altar because that's what uh, Yeshua said, Jesus said at the Last Supper. Do this to remember me. Very, very Jewish thing to say. So we got this idea of uh, it's war. Blowing trumpets is a, is a sign for war, herald's war. It also herods the Sabbath. So you have opportunity to rest. It's, a, 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 it's to awaken and evoke the Holy Spirit to come. Sleeper awake. Let's, let's get ourselves motivated. It's also a call for the herald of the Messiah. So it has a messianic theme that's, uh, as, as part of it. But it's usually the shofar is made out of a ram's horn. And so for Jewish people, they think ram, they think Isaac. And the ram that was in Genesis. And that's the reason why they're reading this today. And in Genesis 22, you have to remember that you didn't read the Bible, you heard it. And so let's listen to what God has to say. God calls Abraham. Abraham, go take your son, your only son. Any problem with that? He's already got a son, right? And so because you've heard something that seems a little out of place, it creates Discussion. So we get the opportunity to sit amongst ourselves, call the rabbi over and say, hey, what's this only son thing? Tell me about the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Tell me about the story again of the child of promise and the child that's not. Okay, these kinds of, kinds of things. Take your son, whom you love. This is the first time in the Hebrew Bible where the word love appears. And whenever a word appears for the first time in Jewish exegesis, that means that that word love will always have a nuance to its context. Always. And it's about sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice. Sacrifice your son. Stop. There's no reward. There's no... Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac, and I will make you a great king. 
Sacrifice your son and I will give you a great high place in heaven. Sacrifice your son and all the nations will just think you are uh, the, the, the king of the universe, apart from me. There is no reward given. Just do this. So love is something that when we give it, when we share it, when we offer it to other people, it must not demand anything back. Boy, is that hard. In the text of Genesis, Isaac is going up the hill and he says to Abraham, Father, I see the fire, I see the wood, I see the knife, but I don't see the sacrifice. In Hebrew, he called it the olah, the burnt offering. And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb. God will provide a say. But when Abraham ties up Isaac and gets ready to offer him, he looks up and he sees a ail. He sees a ram. But you've, if you're listening to the text, Abraham said, God will provide a say. And then he didn't. So ever since Genesis 22, what are we waiting for? The Lamb of God. And so when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the disciples around him don't go, What's this Lamb of God stuff? The guy says he's a door and he's a gate and he's a great shepherd. They understand the, the concept. And so this, this season of Rosh Hashanah, which leads into the 10 days of awe, Jewish people, and we should take a leaf out of their book, are attempting to write some relationships with their fellow men before they can come to God on Yom Kippur. So for 10 days, they are trying to reestablish broken relationships, seeking forgivenesses, trying to shore up patchy marriages, etc., etc. And so they'll have 10 days of getting right with man and one day on Yom Kippur with getting right with God. So what's more valuable to God? Our relationships with each other. What does it say in the Gospel of Matthew? Don't you bring your altar, your sacrifice to me if you've got a problem with your neighbor. You, you put your, altar, your offering down and you go and you make it right. And then you come back. God likes our relationships to be right with each other. This is an incredible part of our, of our faith walk. In fact, we, we, we have like a, a small taste of it uh, every Sunday when we do this thing called the passing of the peace but it's something that we need to do consciously in our lives uh, together. And perhaps even particularly in the next several days as we, as we, as we uh, journey in, our, in the sacred calendar of the Jewish people. So we, are, we need to establish right relationships with each other. We have a world out there that is so desperate for the truth, so blind to the hope that we have, so uncertain of the future, even though it has absolutely everything. So the burden for us, brothers and sisters, is to share the sacrificial love of God, even if they don't come to faith, because that's not our job. Our job is to share the truth and the love of God unconditionally. Boy, is that hard. How do we get from here to there, to that? Because you have to 
have it to be able to give it. So how do we get it? Well, hopefully, we've got it already. But if you haven't, my advice is, and I encourage you to get involved in Bible studies and study and fellowship with your brothers and sisters, to seek the infinite, unconditional love that the Father has for you, the love that, 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 that is, passes all understanding. And if you do not have that love with you today, then the, the, the team here, the clergy, the pastors, the deacons, uh, members of our staff will be very happy to talk with you, to pray with you, to journey with you so that you can understand the love of the Almighty and encourage you to share it with the world. So brothers and sisters, I would ask that during this time of preparation that we prepare our hearts to share the love of God, starting with our brothers and sisters and then also adoring the Lord of heaven. So may you all have a blessed new year, a sweet new year, and may all of your communities grow with new members into the kingdom of heaven, for that is the Lord's delight. And so we are encouraged to pray, we are encouraged to feast and feed on the goodness of God. Uh, we are encouraged to be filled once again with his Holy Spirit, which we then walk out that door and immediately share it with every, everyone that we meet, unconditionally, without a reward, regardless of race, color, or creed, and the kingdom of heaven will go with us. Let's turn to our prayer. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.